Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Um, If you've got one of the church Bibles from up the back, it's on page 816, or it'll be up on the screen. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus... He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jayesh, if we haven't met. Uh, the, um, the regular pastors, uh, Ross and Ben, are away this weekend. Uh, so it's my great privilege uh, to preach this morning. Uh, but before we jump into this passage... Uh, Let's just open in prayer. So let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we approach your word uh, this morning, uh, as we look at uh, these two people who come to Jesus in faith, uh, please teach us many things about what what it means to have faith in you. I pray that you'd soften our hearts, uh, help us to be receptive to your word. Uh, Please be with me as I speak. I can't speak or preach by myself. I need you. Please be with all of us and convict all of us 
of our sin and our need to turn to Jesus for salvation. And I pray this in His name. Amen. Uh, One of the strangest things about Christianity, I think, uh, is the fact that we are saved by faith in Jesus. Don't you find that a little bit strange? Maybe it's just me. Uh, Out of all the ways that God could have chosen to save us, He's chosen faith in Jesus. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. What does the most famous verse in the Bible say? It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, has faith in Him, has faith in Jesus, will not perish but will have eternal life. The Bible clearly teaches here and elsewhere that Christians are saved by faith in Jesus. But why is that? You know, why faith in particular? Uh, Why not love for Jesus or something else? It almost seems arbitrary. What's so special about faith in Jesus? Now, in this day and age especially, that question is raised to new stakes because faith has become a bit of a dirty word over the last few years. Faith these days, especially amongst the new atheists, is painted as something that's opposed to reason and intelligence. It's this idea of believing in something in spite of the evidence. And so, it's argued that faith is something ridiculous that you do. It's absurd to have faith. Here's what the famous atheist Richard Dawkins has to say about faith. He says, faith is the great cop-out the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. So not only do secular parts of our society teach us that having faith is stupid, having faith in Jesus also happens to be the whole basis, the whole basis on which we're saved as Christians. So then, as Christians, we need a darn good answer, both for ourselves and for others, as to what faith is and why we're saved by it. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, This morning, actually, we've come to the end of a long road. Uh, For the last eight weeks here at Southside, we've been going through the first five chapters of the book of Mark, and we've seen episode after episode of Jesus doing amazing things that no other person in human history has done. And this week, week nine, we've come to the end, the end of the series, certainly not the end of the book, and we're looking at the last half of Mark chapter five, where two people come to Jesus for help and are saved by Jesus on the basis of their faith in Jesus. And what's interesting about this passage is that these two people are completely different. Uh, one, one is an important religious guy called Jairus, and the other is an outcast woman. But they're both saved by their faith in Jesus. And by comparing and contrasting these two people, uh, we learn a lot about faith. We learn a lot about what faith is and what it looks like, why we're saved by faith, and how we can put our faith in Jesus. So that's the plan for this morning. Now, at this point in the narrative, to give you a bit of an idea of the context, Jesus has been at the sea or the lake of Galilee, uh, which, by the way, you can go visit today. Uh, It looks something like that. 
Uh, And Jesus has been traveling from one side of the lake to the other. In chapter 4, as you might remember, Jesus was teaching a large crowd who were seated on the shore, and he was seated in a boat in the lake. He was teaching the the parable of the sower and other parables related to seeds. Then at the end of the day, what does he do? He travels to the other side of the lake, and as they're traveling during the night, there's a big storm. Jesus calms the storm miraculously, and they get to the other side. What's at the other side? The Gerasenes. We looked at that last week. And what does Jesus do there? He heals this demon-possessed man and sends the demons into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And the pigs all rush down the bank and they're drowned. Where? In the lake. And the people aren't impressed with that, so they send Jesus away. And so Jesus and his disciples jump back in the boat and they cross to the other side of the lake and then they come here. Uh, So that's where Jesus has been. And uh, that's where we pick it up in verse 21. Uh, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, this is when this religious guy, Jairus, comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and pleads with him to heal his dying daughter. Verses 22 to 24. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now I want to pause at this point and just reflect on the gravity of what is happening in this moment. First of all, Jairus is desperate. He's desperate. This is a guy who has a young 12-year-old daughter, we're told her age at the end of the passage, And she's not just sick, she's dying. This is gut-wrenching stuff. Now, I don't have any kids yet, God willing, one day, but a lot of you do, so you should be able to sympathize with Jairus better than I can. His child is dying. His parental instincts must be in overdrive at this point. This is an incredibly desperate man. But Jairus isn't just a desperate man, he's an important man. He's a leader of the Jewish synagogue in a Jewish town. He's a guy with a high position of authority. You know, he's probably a highly regarded and respected man in his community. But look at how humbled by Jesus he is. When he comes to Jesus, he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, this is a big deal when you think about it. This is like the Pope climbing out of his Pope-mobile and falling at his feet, falling at the feet of a homeless man. This is, this is a bit weird. This is a weird sight to see. Jairus falling at Jesus' feet. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet because he knows that despite appearances, Jesus outranks him a thousand times. Now, note, note, how, note how humble Jairus is. Like, he doesn't strut up to Jesus and say, Excuse me, Jesus. I'm a pretty important person around here, so you ought to come and help me. No, because he's so humbled by Jesus, he doesn't mention his religious credentials, doesn't mention that he's been a good boy doing lots of good religious things for God, so he deserves for Jesus to come and help him. No, Jairus knows he's got no bargaining power. He's way down here, and Jesus is way up here. So he just falls at Jesus' feet, and he just begs. He just begs for Jesus to what? 
to come and touch his dying daughter. And this is the most interesting thing about Jairus at this particular point. He has a tremendous amount of faith in Jesus. Now, can you imagine this? Jairus leaves the bedside of his dying daughter to go and find not a doctor, but this miracle man, Jesus. Jairus is out on a limb here. You know, he's banking on Jesus. He's got limited time. So, if he's wrong about this, this could cost his daughter her life. Nevertheless, he strongly believes, he strongly believes that Jesus can heal his daughter. More than that, he believes that Jesus just needs to touch his daughter and she'll live. So, that's Jairus. He's a desperate man, he's humbled by Jesus, and he has great faith that Jesus can heal his dying daughter. So, what happens next? Verse 24, uh, Jesus obviously has compassion on Jairus, because he stops whatever he's doing, and he follows Jairus and heads towards his home where his daughter is, and of course, the massive crowd, they decide to follow too. So, they're pressing all around him. So, get into Jairus' shoes for a moment here, because this poor man must be ripping his hair out. You know, time is of the essence here for Jairus. His daughter is dying. In fact, she's on the brink of death, and this jolly crowd that's following, they're just slowing things down. You know that feeling when you're stuck in really bad traffic, and you really need to be somewhere? That feeling of frustration? Multiply that feeling by 10,000 for Jairus here. The last thing Jairus needs at this point is an interruption, something that slows things down even more. So, guess what happens next? There's an interruption, verse 25, by a woman in the crowd. Now, at this point, Mark, who wrote this gospel, wants us to pause the story, and he wants us to put Jairus in a situation on hold for the moment, and he wants us to look at this particular woman. This is a woman who's had a very difficult life. It says in verse 25 that she's had some sort of bleeding issue for the last 25, not 25 years, uh, 12 years. Uh, Now, a few months ago, I was reading an article in a Christian magazine by a Christian uh, professor of gynecology who was guessing what sort of medical condition this particular woman had, and he said that it was probably, I have to pronounce this properly, uh, menometragia, I think I said that right, the symptoms of which are heavy, irregular, unpredictable menstrual periods. And he wrote, this particular professor wrote that as a result of this woman's condition, this woman was probably infertile and probably suffered from poor general health. Now, on top of this, you need to realize there were strict Jewish ceremonial laws on menstruating. Uh, Women were deemed ceremonially unclean while they they were on their period which means that this woman was essentially ceremonially unclean all the time. While she was unclean, anyone or anything she touched would have been declared ceremonially unclean too. So, no one who knew about her condition would have wanted to touch her or be near her. She was probably an outcast of society. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, this woman has gone broke trying to get better. In verse 26, 
it says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. This poor woman has blown all her money on a bunch of Dr. Patels who have not made her situation any better. They've only made her situation worse. So here's this poor woman, and she is physically and religiously and financially destitute. This woman must have felt like she was living in a living death. And so, like Jairus, she's desperate. She's so desperate to be healed. And so, she comes up with a plan. Verse 27 to 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That's her plan. Now, notice that like Jairus, she has a tremendous amount of faith in Jesus. She strongly believes that Jesus is so ridiculously powerful, she can be healed by him with just a touch. And she figures, you know, why not a secret touch? There was a lot of shame and stigma associated with her condition. She probably doesn't want any attention drawn to herself. She probably doesn't want to be publicly healed in front of everyone. So she just wants a secret meal uh, miracle. And then she wants to get out of there. So in the middle of all the ruckus, she somehow manages to touch Jesus' clothes. And then what happens? Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This is amazing. One touch and she's immediately healed. Twelve years of suffering, cured in an instant. She must have been so happy at this moment. But she's about to go on an emotional roller coaster. Her joy is about to be turned to fear. Because what does Jesus do at this point? He stops, he's felt power leave him, so he looks around for who's touched his clothes. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And Jesus' disciples at this point must have been thinking, are you crazy, Jesus? There's so many people around, everyone's touching you right now. Verse 31, you see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus won't give up looking, verse 32. He keeps looking around to see who's touched him. And so finally, the woman reveals herself and she's terrified. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now, notice how humbled by Jesus this woman is. Just like Jairus, she falls at Jesus' feet. So she's quite similar to Jairus, isn't she? She's desperate like Jairus. She has tremendous faith in Jesus like Jairus. And she's humbled by Jesus like Jairus. In fact, she's so humbled, she's shaking with fear. And in fact, I don't think that's fear of the crowd. This is fear of Jesus. She knows that by touching Jesus, she has made him richly unclean. And she knows that Jesus is way up here and she's way down here and she knows 
how much power and authority he has. So she tells Jesus the whole truth because she thinks she's in a big amount of trouble. Now, at first, when you read this bit, you think, you know, this is a bit rough. What's Jesus doing here? This poor lady obviously doesn't want any attention, and here, here's Jesus putting the spotlight on her in front of a big crowd, and she's terrified. This seems a bit pastorally insensitive. Um, but when you dig a bit deeper, it actually isn't. Uh, have a look at what Jesus says to her. Verse 34, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, there's four things to notice here. Firstly, Jesus' words here are so comforting and reassuring. He calls her daughter. These words probably mean a lot to someone who's been socially ostracized for 12 years. Secondly, by finding her and speaking to her, Jesus is deliberately establishing a relationship with this woman. He could have just ignored her and kept on going, but he cares about her. So he stops and he meets her. Now, thirdly, by speaking to her in front of everyone, what he's actually doing is reinstating her into the community. He's essentially saying to everyone who's listening around, this woman is healed. I've blessed her. So stop treating her like an outcast. Accept her back into the community. You see what he's doing? He's not just fixing her physical problem, he's fixing her social, religious, financial problem too. And fourthly, Jesus wants to clarify with her the means by which the woman is saved. He says, your faith has saved you. He doesn't say, touching me has saved you. He says, your faith has saved you. Jesus is deliberately attributing this woman's salvation to her faith. So that's the woman. She's healed, she's extremely happy, and she goes home. Now we go back to Jairus. Now we go back to Jairus, and you can only imagine how Jairus is feeling at this point. You know, he's a desperate man in a big hurry, and this interruption has been a significant delay, and things are just about to get worse. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jairus' heart must have dropped like a sinker at this point. You know, I wonder how his faith is going right now. You know, he first came to Jesus believing that Jesus could heal a sick little girl. Does he believe that Jesus can heal a dead little girl? But Jesus knows how Jairus is feeling at this point, so he reassures him. Verse 36, overhearing what they heard, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus has told the trembling woman, your faith has saved you, and now he tells Jairus, don't, believe, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is clearly teaching both of these people something about faith. Faith is important. Without faith, there is no salvation. Now, at this point, 
Jesus won't let the crowd follow along, verse 37. Only three of his disciples are allowed to come with him, Peter, James, and John. They get to Jairus' house, verse 38, and there are people crying everywhere. And Jesus says to them, verse 39, what's with all this commotion? This girl is not dead, she's sleeping. And what do they all do? They all laugh at him, verse 40. So he kicks them out of the house, and he goes into the room where the little girl is with his disciples and with Jairus and his wife. And then, verse 41, he takes the little, girl, the little dead girl by the hand and he says to her in a different language, little girl, I say to you, get up. And then, verse 42, she immediately gets up and starts walking around. And the disciples and the parents are absolutely gobsmacked. They're astounded. And then, verse 43, he forbids them from spreading the news about it, and he tells them to give her something to eat. So that's the story. And it's an amazing story. This is the first time in Mark that Jesus raises somebody from the dead. It's incredible. But what do we get out of this? What do we learn? Well, the first thing we learn is that faith is incredibly important. And it's incredibly important because Jesus chooses to save only those who have faith in Him. But it's not exclusive because He saves anyone who has faith in Him. Jesus doesn't choose to save Jairus because he's an upright religious guy who keeps all the rules, and he doesn't avoid the woman because, you know, according to the religious rules of the day, she's unclean. No, he saves both of them. He saves anyone who has faith in him. But secondly, from the story, we get a concrete picture of what faith in Jesus looks like. You see, as Christians, sometimes we can have an anemic understanding of faith in Jesus. Uh, we can either adopt the secular meaning of faith that we looked at before, you know, faith is just believing in something with no good evidence, or we can sometimes think that faith in Jesus is just vaguely believing a bunch of facts about Jesus. You know, I believe Jesus exists, tick, I believe that Jesus died on a cross, tick, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, tick, voila, I have faith in Jesus. You know, that, that kind of thing is what I did for years as a Christian kid growing up in a Christian home. But that's not what faith is. Look at Jairus and the woman. Jairus and the woman did not merely have an intellectual faith in Jesus. Their faith was incredibly personal. They didn't only believe that Jesus existed and that He was powerful, and He had authority. Yes, they believed all those things, but they also personally trusted Jesus to help them. That's because faith is personal trust in someone. It's relational. If you let someone drive your car, or live in your house, or even borrow your credit card, not sure why you'd do that, you have a certain amount of faith in them. It's not an absurd thing to do. We, do, we do it all the time. Even Richard Dawkins does it. He has faith in a million different ways that he isn't willing to admit. He has faith in his wife. He goes to bed at night, next to his wife, I assume, 
and he believes that she isn't going to murder him during the night. Why? Because he trusts her. He has faith in her. And this kind of faith, it's not devoid of evidence, it's just dependent on a different kind of evidence, relational evidence. I know this person, therefore I trust them, I have faith in them. Now, for us as Christians living 2,000 years after Jesus, there's a certain amount of evidence that we need before we can put our faith in Jesus. We need evidence that Jesus existed and that He rose from the dead. But that evidence exists, both in the Bible and outside the Bible. You can go look it up. There's plenty of it. But once we've gotten to that point where we're ready to accept that that evidence is true, there's still another step we need to take before we've actually put our faith in Jesus. We need to entrust ourselves to Jesus. We need to hand ourselves and our lives over to Jesus and personally trust Him with our lives. So, how do we get to that point where we're ready to do that? That's the second question, or the next question we need to ask in response to the story. How do we have faith in Jesus? Now, again, look at Jairus and the woman. There's a few things that led them to have faith in Jesus. They had a concrete problem, they were incredibly desperate for help, they were humbled by Jesus because they actually believed He was the Son of God, and also they actually believed that Jesus would and could help them. So they came to Him for help. So what about us? What's our concrete problem? Well, we all need to be healed from something much worse than a medical condition or even death. We need to be healed from sin. All of us are corrupt. All of us have rebellious hearts that by default turn away from God, the God who made us. God is a holy God, a perfect God. His standards are way up here and none of us live up to those standards. We've all done things that are wrong. We've all missed the mark. And therefore, all of us deserve to be destroyed in hell because of our sin. Do you realize how serious our predicament is? Do you realize how desperately we need help? Because that's the first step to having a faith that isn't merely intellectual. If you aren't desperate for help, if you don't recognize how severe your sin is, you won't put your faith in Jesus because you won't think you'll need to. You'll either believe that Jesus won't send you to hell because you're a pretty decent person or you'll try to pay God back for the wrongs that you've done by doing, you know, some good things. That's kind of like trying to pay a million-dollar debt with loose change from around your house. It doesn't work. It's only after you recognize how stuffed you are that you get on your knees and you beg Jesus to help you. And He will. Because here's the thing, Jesus is the only human in history who lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. And He's willing to share His life and His death with us if we trust in Him, 
if we have faith in Him. If we have faith in Jesus, all of Jesus' righteousness and goodness becomes ours, and all our sin becomes His. That's why He died on a cross, to pay the punishment for our sin, which He takes from us. And He rose from the dead, just like He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, because He has conquered sin and death. He has power over sin and death. And if we have faith in Him, if we trust in Him, He will raise us to life too. And this brings us to the final question that we kind of asked right at the beginning. Why are we saved by faith in Jesus? Why faith? Now, hopefully by now, the answer to that question is a bit clearer. Faith isn't just an intellectual exercise that we do in our heads. Faith is personal trust in someone. But here's the thing about faith. It is the fundamental ingredient to any relationship. Faith is the fundamental ingredient to any relationship, even more than love. Even more than love. You cannot have a close relationship with someone you cannot and do not trust. You can't. But more than that, faith is the highest honour. Faith in someone is the highest honour that you can give to someone. If someone said to me, I trust you with my life, you know what, that means a thousand times more to me than I love you. Because you can love me and think I'm a clown. If you trust me, if you trust me with your life, you must think I'm amazing. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we actually put our faith in Jesus, we're giving Him the highest honour possible. What we're saying to Him is, Jesus, I entrust You with my life. You can have my life. You can do what You want with me. You are my King, I am Your obedient servant. I trust You and I trust you'll save me from my sin. That's why we're saved by faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a merciful and compassionate God and you save anyone who has faith in you. Please help us, please help us, O oh God, to keep trusting in you. Please help us, Jesus, not to think that we can, in our own strength, earn our salvation. Help us to cling to you with all that we have. Please impress uh, these words that we've heard from your word deeply into our hearts. May we go out from here encouraged, knowing that simply by having faith in you, we have salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.